0: Good morning. morning. Would you all stand with me for the reading of God's word? The text today will be found in Proverbs 31 verses 1 through 9 and it reads as follows. The words of King Lemuel, a pronouncement that his mother taught him. What should I say, my son? What son of my womb? What son of my vows? Don't spend your energy on women or your efforts on those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire beer. Otherwise, he will drink, forget what is decreed and pervert justice for all the oppressed. Give beer to the one who is dying and wine to the one whose life is bitter. Let him drink so that he can forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. But speak up for those who have no voice for the justice of all. Speak up, judge righteously and defend the cause of the oppressed and the needy. This is God's word. Would you join me in prayer? Father, daily we're faced with the decision of how we will best use our life. How we will best use our time and talents and our treasures, Lord. Will we choose to use them on ourselves and our own pleasures? Or will we spend them on behalf of seeing your glory spread throughout the earth? Father, our only request this morning is that you would teach us your ways. That you would show us how to wring out our lives for your glory and the benefit of those who have little. God, we are too often consumed with our own will and our own ways and our own purposes. Father, would you reorient our lives this morning, Lord, that we will be consumed, compelled to make much of your name in the city of, of, of Atlanta, in these communities, in the West End, and throughout the outermost parts of the world. Give us your grace. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. About a week ago, I was browsing YouTube, and I came across this interview of Kanye West. And on this interview, Kanye had returned back home. He had returned back to the city of Chicago, and this was his first interview in several years. Those of us that are familiar with Kanye West know that he has been the center of controversy for many years. We saw the old Kanye West that many of us fell in love with. Daily, we have conversations where we're like, man, I want the old Kanye back. A man that was compelled to see change take place in his own community. A man that was on a mission to come from the gutters of Chicago and provide a better way for his family and those who couldn't escape the destruction in the city. On this interview, Kanye is asked questions about his relationship with Drake and questions about how he belie- what he believes about Donald Trump. And yet the thing that was most striking was Kanye had recognized that he had diverted from his original mission. Kanye West had become distracted with all the fame and all the wealth and all of the status and prestige that he, through his skills, had earned. And yet for the first time it would seem as though Kanye had realized that he had forgotten his past. He had forgotten where he came from. He had forgotten the instruction of his mother, Donda, and how that had set him on a course to seek not only his own needs, but the needs of others. Here, Kanye wept because he realized that his newfound fame had forsaken old friends, had left behind the very people that he at one point wanted to bring up with him. And there was a moment where you start to empathize with the brokenness of a man who by all appearances looks crazy. But yet at his heart, at his core, you see this man broken as he thought that everything that he once wanted would bring the satisfaction that he actually desired. Church, if we're not careful of remembering Our purpose and our mission will find ourselves diverting into a course or on a trajectory that we never intended to go on in the first place. We talked about this DNA series because we felt that we needed as a church to be reminded about God's previous work so that we could be focused on what he wants us to do in the future. And so unlike other sermon series, we're going to take a we're going to venture back into the past. We're going to look at God's faithfulness seven years ago where God worked in the hearts of a few families that looked at the conditions of neighborhoods on this side of town and said, I can't overlook this any longer. If you haven't been in this community for any amount of time, you'll know that um, the breweries and the Beltline trails and all of these things are new occurrences. There was a time where this neighborhood was one of the most undesirable places to live in. There was a time where streets were not paved, where homes were deteriorated, where on the corner you saw rampant prostitution and gang activity. There was a time where the people in this very neighborhood who had been here for years were viewed as the outcast on the outskirts and no one cared about them at all. There was a time where Christians even would tell us, as we talked about plans of wanting to see God's people move into this neighborhood and to see churches on this side of town, where they told us, you don't want to plant a church over there. It's not sustainable. There's no money over there to support the work that you want to see happen. As if the gospel, as if the church was restricted or restrained by the length of one's pocketbook. There was a time where the people, this part of town, was considered wastelands. But now, fast forward, it's considered prime real estate. God began to move in the hearts of his people so that he could communicate to those who were lowly and those who felt hopeless and helpless that he hadn't forgot about them. That God would work in his people to say, how about we transplant our lives in this neighborhood and live to be good neighbors with the hopes that our shared interactions would produce eternal change. It wasn't enough to simply hear over and over and over again news stories about how all of the crime in this city took place on one side of town. As a black man, when I see news stories of a burglary or a robbery or a murder, there's this anxiety that boils up within me to where I may not say it out loud, but what we're thinking is, man, I hope it's not another black man. Man, I hope it's not another black child. And then we're faced with the image of, black young boy robbing a convenience store, a black young man stealing a vehicle. It doesn't just happen on the local news, it happens on our Facebook pages. The Westview Neighborhood Association page, the West End Neighborhood Association page, you're bombarded with the reality that suspicious individuals are those who are of a darker pigmentation on our, and are in the wrong place at the wrong time, wearing the wrong attire. There's no questioning of, if a man is standing on your porch, he must want something from you. Not that he could be looking for shelter as he waits for the bus in torrential rains. We're bombarded with this stereotype that a particular group of people in a particular part of our city, are criminals and suspects. And so we hope to answer and shed light on why we decided to move into this community, why we decided to start a church in this neighborhood. It's because there were people who, by all, by all standards, were considered worthless, were considered undesirable, And we felt compelled that to be a follower of Jesus is not simply to be concerned about a man's soul alone. To be a follower of Jesus means I'm concerned about your soul, but I also am concerned about your ability to provide for your family. I'm also concerned about your overall well-being, so much so that I will expend everything that I have and all of my energies to benefit you So that you can see that God loves you just as much as he loves those in Bankhead or Buckhead. That God loves you just as much as he loves those in East Atlanta Village. That God cares about your needs in the same way he cares about the college educated person that went to Georgia Tech. Today, I only have three charges for us, church. Three Charges that we'll see in scripture and the first one being is that we as God's people are privileged We have been blessed abundantly But not only have we been blessed and are we privileged but I want to encourage us don't waste it Don't waste what God has given you on yourselves, but spend it Be willing to use it for the benefit of others It's not enough for us to gather here every single Sunday and to sing songs about a Jesus who's done the impossible of taking dead men and making them alive. And yet we're fearful to go out into the very communities where they won't hear this message on Sunday because there's no church for them to go to. Where they don't understand that God cares about them, that our Christian God cares about them when there's not a Christian willing to live on their very block. That we as the church... Are required and mandated to take the good news of Jesus Christ, not only to the outermost parts of the world, but into the cracks and crevices and the gutters of our city. This is what we're going to talk about today. So I'm not going to waste any time. Let's get into the text. Let's start verses one and two. I want to deal with the reality that we are privileged. Verses 1 and 2 read the words of King Lemuel, a pronouncement that his mother taught him. What should I say, my son? What son of my womb, son of my vows? This chapter opens up with a pronouncement and we don't know much about, excuse me. We don't know much about Lemuel, but what we do know is that he's a king. In order to be a king, it wasn't something that you could earn. It wasn't something, a position that you could apply for. To be a king means you had to be birthed into a royal family. This king could have said anything he wanted, any wisdom that he obtained, he could have obtained over the years. As a king, I'm sure he encountered the wisest of the wise, the smartest of the smart. And yet the king decides to say, I want to share with you something my mama told me. I want to remind you of something that has kept me anchored now that I'm king so that I can govern and rule and do all that God has put me here to do. My mama has a message for you. If you think about your life, how many of the how many of the truths that you learned early on in your walk are the very things keeping you right here and right now? Think about when you first came to the Lord. Think about the excitement that you experienced where it wasn't a chore to spend time in God's word. Where you had your secret place that you ran to day after day and moment after moment because you just wanted to spend time with your redeemer. The things that you learned that would lend itself to treat others like you would want to be treated. God is faithful when we are faithless. Trust in the Lord always. Those very things that were probably instructed to us by our mama or an auntie or a cousin or our daddy. That as we've gotten the king's crown now with the six-figure jobs and the conference speaking engagements and the promotion at work and the pastoral positions, those, those simple truths are the thing that we have the hardest time holding on to. We need to go back and remember the things that God first taught us so that as God exalts us, we'll be able to be faithful where we're at. She says, what should I say, my son? What son of my womb? What son of my vows? Mama wants him to know, first off, you belong to me. Before I instruct you in any way, I want to remind you that I'm committed to you. I want to remind you that you belong to me, that in, intimately I birthed you and you are a part of me. I want you to know of the unconditional commitment that I have to you, that there's nothing that you can do to earn more love for me. There's nothing that you can do to lose the love and commitment that I have for you. What should I say, my son? I love you. What should I say, son, of my womb? You, you are part of me. What should I say, son, of my vows? I'm committed to you. God leads off in our lives with affirmation of who we are to him. That we are the apple of his eye. That he has given us everything. Everything to demonstrate a love for us that no one else could ever do. God wants to remind us this day that we belong to him and it's not conditional, but it's unconditional. That what you have, you didn't earn. And if you didn't earn it, that means that you can't lose it. God gives a security that nothing else in this world could ever give. Before her instruction, look at how She wants to first remind him of his love for him. But she also wants to let him know that I know you well enough to know who you are. God's instruction for us will flow out of those two things. His love for us, but also his knowledge of us. And so if he gives us instruction to keep us from something, it's because he knows our proclivities. He knows our tendencies. He knows our ease of wandering and straying away. God's not withholding things for our displeasure. No, God's withholding things or calling us to things for our enjoyment. But not only that, it's through our relationship with him that we receive privileges beyond our greatest understanding Paul will say that as a Christian you have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that as a Christian you've been pardoned for your sins as a Christian you've been given peace that's be out that's outside of the realm of understanding That as a Christian, you've been given gifts and graces to be able to do all that God has called you to do. That as a Christian, you have the ear of the Father. You have one who will guide you and lead you through paths that lead to ultimate joy. You have, because you are a Christian, you have everything you need in order to do what God has called you to do. Remember your worth. Remember what God has done for you. And know that you belong to a king. When I look out at our membership, I see 260 plus people who are privileged and blessed. In this congregation alone, we have upper managed professionals. Grammy award winning artist. Businessmen, businesswomen, teachers, educators, people in management, contractors, people with varying levels of degrees. But not only that, we have people who can teach God's word, people who know how to share their faith and can instruct others to do so, people who are generous with their resources and their time and their talents, people who would give the shirt off of their back, in order to meet the need of a brother. When I look at our church, I see a blessed church. I see a church of privileges. And yet the charge that I see that we have to consider today is do you believe that? That even if I didn't name a category that you would find yourself in, do you believe that God has given you enough? That God has given you enough Maybe not what that person has, but he's given you enough. And that regardless of your income or your social economic status, regardless of your degrees or your diplomas, regardless of any of that, you have enough. And that means that God. Desires more for you than for you to sit on all that he's given you. The king says, this is what my mama taught me. She shows me that she loves me. And she shows me that she knows me. But she doesn't just stop there. She goes into, baby, don't waste it. Baby, don't waste what I've given you. Look at what she says. Don't spend your energy on women or your efforts on those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, or for rulers to desire beer. Otherwise, he will f- drink, forget what is decreed, and pervert justice for all the oppressed. There was a movie that came out earlier this year called Black Panther. I waited about eight months before I used it in an illustration just because everybody was preaching on it, so... Well, in Black Panther, you see the underlying storyline of a country who's blessed beyond measure. And the temptation of the country is that to, for the king in place, they feared that if they would use the resources that they had been given for the benefit of others, that there was fear of it being abused. And so you see this play of between two different communities of people, those who are Africans and those who are African-Americans, those who are affluent and those who have little. And you see this tug of war taking place in King T'Challa's heart. We have these resources, but we'd rather spend it on ourselves. We'd rather keep our society hidden from the rest of the world because we don't know what will happen if we extend what we've been given to other people. And what's interesting is that the entire movie, it's not until a man's life is lost that the king realizes that the power that he's been given is not meant simply for his own people's good, but the power that he's been given is actually meant to help those less fortunate. Mama says here, look, big head, don't spend your energy on women. Or your efforts on those who destroy kings. If you have any history. Or any knowledge of the Bible. You'll see that many kings were destroyed. At the result of a woman. This isn't an indictment to say. Don't pursue women. I heard a lot of amens right there. This isn't a command to say. It's a bad thing to pursue women. That's not what he's saying. She's saying here. It's. I know what you want to do with those women. I know that you want to indulge in all women can offer to serve your own needs. And therefore, because I know your proclivities, I know what you're prone to do. So let me caution you. You have the opportunity, but don't use that for your own selfish greed. The reality here is that mama is telling him, You don't need to spend your authority, your power, your privileges on things that are going to bring destruction to your life. Look at other people's lives to see how that has destroyed them. Look at other people's lives. Recall the history of how people who have chased after those things, look at where that they wound up at. Leave them things alone because they will not satisfy you and they will only be a distraction to you. It's not for kings, Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine or rulers to desire beer. Again, this isn't about drinking. This is about indulgence. What may seem as a simple delight, that if you're not careful, can Steer you away into a path of destruction. Leave that drink alone. You've got too much, too much, too much to do. But not only that, it says, otherwise you will forget what was decreed and pervert justice for all the the oppressed. Remember that your decisions affect other people. Your life is so valuable that the way you live it can have a lasting impact on the people that God brings in your life. Don't believe the lie that your decisions only affect you. It only takes getting married to realize that your sin bleeds out on other people. It only takes for people to get around some roommates to know that, man, my decisions of not doing the dishes Impacts my whole household. In other words, some of y'all dirty in here. (laughs) Mama wants the king to understand. You can waste your life using the things that God has done. uh, by, By having an abundance of resources and doing nothing with it. You can waste your life by being given so much and yet choosing only to use it on your own. Your privileges are not meant solely for your prosperity. Your privileges are not meant solely for your own prosperity. Let me talk about this for a moment. Your ability to sing was not given so that you could only sing in the shower alone. I can't sing, but I'm going to sing, and I wish I could sing, but it bothers me when people who can sing try to hold that gift to themselves, especially when they go to a church plant where they complain about the music on stage (laughs) and aren't willing to participate the gift that God's given them for the benefit of the church. I hear a lot of amens and preach, but I need some volunteers (laughs) when we. Your professional degree was not simply given to you so that you could make all the money in the world. So that you could buy that house and that car and go on all those vacations that you love. Your degree was given to you so that you could use the education and the knowledge and the resources that come with that degree and actually advocate for those who would never be able to get those very things. God's kindness towards you was not just for you. It was also so that you could be a blessing to others. How much more joy is it to use that house and that car and that paycheck to help someone in need than it is simply to spend it on yourself. And we know this, and we know this to be true, that it's better to give than receive, but yet we like receiving a little too much. We like receiving so much that we forget the joy that God extends to us when we can take everything that we have and use it to benefit somebody else. Are you hoarding your privileges? Are you hoarding your privileges? Church, let us not confuse stewardship with ownership. Let us not confuse stewardship with ownership. Nothing you have belongs to you. You've been loaned it. beauty of a church like this is that we hear a lot about, hey, how can I get connected? How can I use my gifts? And I want to encourage every single member here, if you want to know how you can serve, start serving. And I don't just mean being on a hospitality team or handling media. I'm talking about get involved and connected with the ministry that's taking place here at the church. If you want to know what your gifts are, get connected and start serving. The beauty of a church is that if you want, you don't need a gifts assessment test in order to identify your giftings. What you need to do is start serving, start doing something, and then trust that God has surrounded you with a group of people who can help you identify the ways that God has blessed you. So that means that if you want to know if you are an evangelist or that you have that gift, participate in the outreaches that take place in this neighborhood. Walk the streets and start talking to people about Jesus with other people so that as they see how you can communicate and articulate the faith, as they see God's grace on your life to win people to the Lord, they can stand back and say, baby, I know you're gifted because I've seen God at work in your life. If you want to know that you can teach, start discipling someone, pull someone aside that's not far, as far along with you, as you In their faith and start teaching them and instructing them in God's word. I guarantee you if you take that step of faith, what will happen is that that person will be blessed by the gift that God has given you. You'll start to see changes in their life and then they can affirm to say, yeah, baby, you got that gift. You have been gifted to teach God's word. Obedience means taking a step of faith. Don't let fear paralyze you. There is enough work in this community. There's enough work in this church that every single member of our church can participate in. There's no bench players in God's kingdom. The reality is stop sitting on your gifts and give them to the Lord. Lastly, give everything you've got to God. Give beer to the one who is dying and wine to the one whose life is bitter. Let him drink so that he can forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. Speak up for those who have no voice, for the justice of all who are dispossessed. Speak up and judge righteously and defend the cause of the oppressed and the needy. We're going to spend some time here. Verses six to seven are not his mom co-signing bad behavior. When she says give beer to the one who is dying and wine to the one whose life is bitter, she's not creating a welfare program for the king to enact. That would contradict her previous statements that would was encouraging, instructing him to stay away from the very things. Now she would encourage him to give to others. No, that's not what's happening here. That word give in the Greek is not a command, but it's more a prompting to see, look at Look outside of yourself to the needs of others. Look at the current condition of those who would find themselves in such great poverty that they would rather get drunk, rather look to alcohol to cope with the pains of their life than look to anything else. Get off of your high stool and step down and see the needs of the people that you've been entrusted to care for. Seven years ago, we surveyed the streets of the West End and as we were talking to one individual, we just were asking him questions about, hey, help us understand the community, help us understand the neighborhood. And it was funny that as we began to share about the West End, he started to mention about how all of the faiths, this was kind of a, a cultural center. Diversity ethnically, diversity religiously. And he started to roll off name after name. Like, man, we've got Rastafarians here. We've got people who are within the black Hebrew-Israelite community. We've got people who worship Shrine of the Black Madonna. We've got all these laundry lists of different faiths. And the one faith he did not mention was, and we've got Christians here. I found that so peculiar as you drive through the neighborhood and you see churches, what would seem to be on every corner. But for him, the church had become so irrelevant that it wasn't an actual present help in this community, but it was just a relic to be observed. People drove into the church and it was populated. But there was no physical presence of people who lived in this actual neighborhood. The church was not woven into the fabric of the community. The church was a bystander, an occupant, not a neighbor. Mama says, "Speak up for those who have no voice. Don't stand on the sidelines, but get in the trenches. Recognize that those that there are those that have been silenced and forgotten. Far too often and not, we don't even realize that people have been silenced, people have been quieted and forgotten because we would rather avoid discomfort. We would rather start for ourselves friends." and neighbors who have voices rather than enter into the suffering of those without. We would rather live in the Buckheads, in the downtown decaters, in the lofts in Midtown, than move into a neighborhood where they have never seen a husband and wife before. Where they have no category or concept for marriage. Where they have no category or concept for anybody that looks like them, That actually knows and loves Jesus. Turning a blind eye to the realities of the ruins in our neighborhood has left concentrated poverty and concentrated brokenness. And if I look into the crowd, I see both white, black, Asian, Latino. I see a beautiful diversity of people in this church. However, when we talk about gentrification, we only look at our fairer-skinned brothers and sisters as being the culprits of such a great problem. It's important for us to understand our history, that the concentration of poverty in these neighborhoods is not the directly caused solely by white middle-class individuals disinvesting and leaving for the suburbs. Our neighborhoods look the way that we do Because black middle class individuals said, I don't want to stay in this community any longer. The grass is greener on the other side, and so I'm going to go be with them over there. And so we look at communities that are lacking social services. Communities that are lacking people with education who can advocate on behalf of those who are uneducated and don't know their rights. We look at people who have never seen a black man or woman who owns a home, and we say, man, I can't believe... That that neighborhood looks like that. The problem is us. The problem is that we desire to live lives that are comfortable and convenient. And we will point at problems but provide no solutions. There are those here who have no voice. And you will never make any change standing on the outside and assessing problems. And coming up with solutions that really don't benefit anything but your own conscience. You can miss me on trying to tell minorities not to move into minority-majority communities. Because you're afraid of gentrification. That's easy to say when your family hasn't been paying on their home for 30 years. And has not accrued an ounce of equity. When you live in Grant Park and your house is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. You can miss me telling me that we should not be concerned and relocated in impoverished neighborhoods because the neighborhood will change when your roads are paved. You have parks where your kids can go and play. You don't have to live next to a drug dealer's house. Let's not masquerade around appearing to somehow have Christian concern or desire for charity but be one unwilling to actually live amongst those who live in this reality. The call here is to say, speak up for those who have no voice by becoming friends with those who have no voice. Speak up for those who have no voice by living amongst those who have no voice. How else will you learn about their voicelessness if you don't come near enough to them and give them your ear to understand. Books are great. Books are amazing. You won't feel the words of that book, the words within that book, unless you enter into the lives of people that the book is talking about. There's a brokenness that exists and there's a people who have no voice Our privilege oftentimes afford us, affords us the opportunity to make decisions that have consequences, but position us to be the profiters rather than those who are attempting to make real change. Speak up, judge righteously, defend the cause of the oppressed. What would it look like, church, if the 260 plus members really got this? What would this community look like if Cornerstone Church came together and sought to improve our neighborhood schools? Who sought to provide affordable housing when no one else is willing to do so? Who sought to say, I'm going to reinvest in this neighborhood and live amongst people in such a way that the impact that they experience on a daily because it becomes my own problems. As I've lived here eight, almost eight years, there is no louder voice and more powerful voice in this neighborhood than our church. I want to say that again. There is no other voice louder than this church in this neighborhood. Here's what I mean about that, mean by that. There's no other collective of people who have the ability to speak against something with one voice and actually have the privileges and power to do something about the things that they're talking about. The reality is neighborhoods have remained the same because the church has been silent on key issues. Neighborhoods have remained the same because the church had rather do things as normal, fill their pews rather than hit the streets. We have an opportunity We have an opportunity to be a voice for our king. This isn't about social justice outside of gospel. This is about bridging the message of the cross and the felt needs of the people and showing that God is not an either or God, but he's a both and. God is concerned about the welfare of the lost and the lowly as much as he is for the rich. Jesus himself warns us in his word. He warns the Pharisees by saying this, Luke eleven forty two. He says this, but woe to you, Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet you disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things that you should have done without neglecting the others. Church, everything that God has given you is meant to be used for his glory and is meant to be used for the benefit of others. If you have partnered with us as a member of this church, this is what you're entering into. That when we say our mission is to display the greatness of Jesus Christ in the everyday lives of his people, that tied to that is the understanding that we want to invite you to participate in the work that God is doing across the world and across this country and in this city and in these neighborhoods, of saying, be my voice. Be my hands. Reflect the king that you claim to serve. Fight for justice. Defend the hopeless. This is our call. Nothing that you do for God will be wasted. Nothing that you do for God will be forgotten. All of our works, all of our gifts, everything that we have that we use for his glory, God will remember And we will stand one day in front of him and all of our works will pass through fire. And on the other side, some will burn up. Some. Things that we thought we were doing for him, but we were really doing for ourselves will be like chaff, but there will be works that turn out on the other side as fine gold. And there's an inheritance that awaits every Christian, that makes every effort in this life to say I serve a king and my mission is to be on the king's side advocating for the things that he cares about and I'm going to use everything that I have to make sure that as I'm working and as I'm striving and as I'm doing everything I can to honor him, that one day... The issues that we see in this neighborhood will be no more. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more hardship. There will be no more threats of gentrification. There will be no more displacement. There will be no more drug abuse or addiction. There will be only perfect peace. And we'll be with our Savior. And we'll hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. As we close remind i want to remind us of our god in psalm 146 7 through 9 as he says he remains faithful forever executing justice for the exploited and giving food to the hungry the lord frees prisoners the lord opens the eyes of the blind the lord raises up those who are oppressed the lord loves the righteous The Lord protects resident aliens and helps the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Amen. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we're thankful that you are a God who advocates and fights against injustice because you yourself experienced injustice. That you were the God who um, your son was wrongly accused. That your son was lied on and betrayed. And yet he hung on a cross paying the price for people's offenses and sins against you that he had not done himself. God, he identifies with the broken because he himself was broken for us. He identifies with those who have little because he himself Lived among those who are lepers and blind and sick and diseased. God, would you produce within us an empathy that goes beyond feeling bad, but one that leads to action? Father, would we be willing to lay aside everything, lay down every form of comfort, Lord, that will prevent us from seeking the welfare of those who have less? Father, will we be a church that is both vocal about the injustices in our community, but also just as vocal or more about the grace and the forgiveness and the good news of the gospel? Our brother said it best that the good news is only good news if it arrives on time. Father, will we be willing? Will we have urgency to go and let those who are perishing know that there's a God who loves them, who died for them and is concerned with both their souls and their bodies. God, would you use even this time to challenge us to reorient our lives in a way that would make much of you and that would be focused and fueled by an eternal hope that we have that one day we will stand before you in all of your glory and we will be amazed at your beauty and the privilege that you gave us to serve you. It is a gift to be able to represent you to represent the king, and I pray that today we would embrace that and that we'd be compelled to go forth making disciples of all nations and making much of your goodness and your kindness in Westviews and West Ends and Ashview Heights and English Avenue and Vine City and to the outermost parts of the world. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.